Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. We haven't missed a trick. West Coast Capital and the Hunter Foundation, I think we've been more productive. Things will never be the same. Things are going to change and I think the workplace is going to change. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss tax, trade and business manifestos and catch up with Kyron Keogh, Managing Director of Rocks the Jewelers. And in the boardroom, Tom and Willie answer your calls and provide business insight and advice. You can get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Gentlemen, politics is always a dangerous subject to discuss, but as all the parties step up their election campaigns, what would you like to see in their manifestos for business? Willie? I'd love to see really good ideas to kickstart business. Um, you know, introducing EIS at another level, because um, that for me is going to, the economy is going to be the number one thing. You know, and they'll, they'll be talking about the usual stuff. It'll be health and education and, you know, whatever. But I think for me, the number one priority you will see very quickly for the Chancellor um, going forward will be business. Uh, the amount of people, unfortunately, who I believe who are, who are going to lose their jobs, I think we're going to have to come up with revolutionary ideas of how we can get these people back into work. Tom? Yeah, I mean, I think from a business point of view, what I'm looking for, I thought Willie had a brilliant idea last week, was a minister for enterprise. Let's put enterprise right at the heart of government. Let's, because at the present time, there's a thing called the Economic Council of Advisors. It's a busted flush. It's not fit for purpose. The First Minister doesn't take it seriously. And um, we need to put job creators at the heart of policy. If government is going to create a policy, they need to consult with those the policy is going to affect. So if it was a business policy, they need to sit and listen to the people they're doing it to. I think that should be a law, in fact. Well, hopefully our politicians are listening and maybe they'll come on the show and talk about their manifestos for business. I think that would be a major step forward. This week saw the first ever tax day which the Treasury published more than 30 tax publications. The aims to simplify the way tax is collected, make it more efficient, clamp down on tax avoidance. Is our tax system too complicated, Willie? I definitely think it's complicated. And uh, I think I said last week, if I had a magic wand and I could change one thing, I would make an absolute hard and fast rule that people had to pay in 30 days um, to help small businesses with the cash flow. If I had that same magic wand and I could make the government make one rule in relation to tax, it would be that anyone taking on a young person, especially for an apprenticeship, could get 100% tax against that cost. We introduce all these complicated grants and money coming from the government. Why not make it really, really easy how we can take people on and get them ready for future employment? Yep, a brilliant idea, Willie. One of my partners at West Coast Capitals, a guy called Jim McMahon, who used to run the special compliance of the Inland Revenue. And um, so Jim is a tax geek, basically. And I asked him this morning knowing that I was coming on the show, I said, tell me about it so I can look clever on the Go Radio business show. And he basically said, look, our tax system is the most complicated system of any policy in government. There are thousands of pages of case law and the Inland Revenue has got a book which is 20,000 pages long (laughs) trying to interpret the case law. His ideas were just to make it simple. But he said, look, there's there's going to be vested interests. All the accountancy firms have got thousands of highly paid people 
and Willie and I probably pay quite a lot of them to help us navigate through this. So it's not going to be easy to do. But if I had one thing, I would just say, if you're lucky enough to be born in Scotland or the UK, and I think we are very lucky to be born here, then pay your tax here. It should be against the law to... if. You should not be allowed to go to Monaco or some places like that. It just should not be correct. You're not going to fall out with some of your business pals there with that message, Tom? I fall out with my business pals all the time, Tom. I, <laughs> I think you will find, um, after you earlier invited people to write in with ideas, I think we may be getting a few letters from Monaco. <laughs> I begging letters yeah, left. About what you can do with your show. <laughs> Mo- moving swiftly on, economists are hinting that we may start to see inflation rise. What impact do you think that would have on business and the recovery? And should we be worried about it, Tom? Yeah, I mean, inflation is there. It's not my number one worry, Donald. Definitely isn't. Um, It does get into all the supply chains and everything goes up and then wage inflation, etc. But if you're running a business, like when I was first starting, I didn't even know what inflation was. You just got on with it and you do your best. So of all the things I worry about, inflation is not even in my top five. Yeah, the, the, the statistics today are actually showing it's went down slightly. So, But I do think going forward, it obviously it can only go one way <laughs> and that is up. Well, from inflation to interest rates, There's a suggestion they should go negative if the recovery needs an extra boost, according to the Bank of England's policymaker. Is that a sensible idea, Tom? No, I don't think it's a sensible idea at all because um, businesses wouldn't get a negative interest rate if they were borrowing. Can you imagine going to Royal Bank and they say, here's a million pounds and we're going to give you 1% for taking it? It's just nonsense. So I think, um, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it should happen. Move on. Scotland's trains will soon be back under government control, effectively nationalised when the Abelio contract runs out. Meanwhile, Rishi Sunak is considering railway reforms to entice private train operators back to the UK network and avoid renationalisation. Should we renationalise or revamp? Tom? I don't know how to run the government, and government doesn't know how to run business. Full stop. Willie? Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Show me one example. <laughs> show me one example of where government intervention in nationalising any industry has made it better. No, I definitely don't think that's a good idea. So we should be a wee bit fearful for the future of our trains in Scotland. 100%. But, you know, let's get Brian Souter on. Brian knows about running trains. I don't know about running trains. So let's, let's hear from somebody who knows about it. Yeah, good idea. We've had some great suggestions from listeners, uh, ideas to improve the show. And one of them was to feature a wee section on Great Scots. And this week, we're kicking off with Sir Thomas Lipton. Sir Thomas Lipton, the man who brought tea to the world. A classic tale of rags to riches. Tommy, as he was known, was born in 1848 in the Gorbals area of Glasgow. After a humble upbringing, Tommy sailed to America, aged just 15. His time there saw Tommy learn the secrets to his future success and would prove to be the catalyst for building what would soon become a global retail empire. Five years later, he would return to Glasgow and open his very first grocery store. Tommy set an early example for refusing to work with middlemen, instead buying all of his fresh produce directly from farmers, just as his mother had taught him. By 1882, Tommy had shops across the UK, and his revolutionary methods would create a template which modern-day supermarkets still use to this day. Over time, Tommy became a pioneer of marketing stunts, employing cartoonists, and even importing what was once the world's largest cheese. Every new store opening was greeted with much fanfare and excitement. It was around this time that Tommy would turn his attentions to tea. His blends were made especially for the local area in which they were sold, and were often advertised as the perfect tea to suit the water of your town. Through tea, Lipton's became a household name. His many shops made him a millionaire, but it was tea that took him to new heights. 
1898, Tommy from the Gorbals became Sir Thomas Lipton, rightfully knighted for his contributions to business and his unquestionable commitment to charitable work. Sir Thomas never forgot his humble origins. After his passing, the terms of his will were to benefit the city of his birth, leaving many thousands of pounds to the various causes across Glasgow. It is said that without Sir Thomas, the great British passion for tea would never have been quite so widespread. And today, the Lipton's brand is still going strong. Great Scots on the Go Radio Business Show. Willie... A brilliant businessman from Gorbals, just like yourself. Oh, what an amazing story. My hero. Tommy put Glasgow on the map, and he certainly put the Gorbals on the map. It's interesting that people know the story. He went to America as a young man and found out some amazing uh, marketing techniques. But when he came back to Glasgow, he took them to another level. You know, his, his marketing became famous. People were waiting to see what the next advert was or the next cartoon was. You know, he brought a, an elephant to Glasgow and had it carrying tea through the city and thousands of people following behind it. He'd people running through Brigton with two pigs all dressed up, all of this stuff. Um, amazing, but way, amazing business stories. Well, 160 years later, we're still talking about them. But I'll, I'll give you a, a wee snippet there on the, on the obviously the voiceover and the intro. Sir Thomas Lipton was only born 200 yards from this studio. Obviously, we'll get the lads for Simple Minds with the back music there. Jim Kerr and Charlie played their very first gig in this studio, wow. which was called Lipton's. <laughs> so there's oh, your fantastic. seven degrees of separation. But Sir Thomas Lipton will go down as one of the greatest and most successful businessmen who certainly put Scotland on the map. I didn't really know the story of Tom Lipton and um, Willie's hero. So... I think these stories are so inspiring. I think that should be taught in school rather than hear about the Spanish Armada or Vasco da Gama, whoever the hell he was. Let's talk about great Scots in the classroom. I, I'm inspired this morning. A boy for the Gorbals did good. Yeah. Could that ever happen again? Also, Tom, I should mention, Thomas Lipton is also the man, boy for the Gorbals, who's made the America's Cup what it is today. Wow. Yeah, his challenges against the Americans in, in the, uh, from ni- 1900 to 1910 is legendary. His four ships, the Shamrock, taking on the Yanks. He became so famous in America because of the market and run about the America's Cup as well. So he'd he done more, I believe, than anyone in, in that century to, to, to put Scotland on the map. It was a fantastic idea from one of the listeners and we're really keen to get feedback every week. So please, if you have any other suggestions like that, email us at gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. Now, if I can pick up on Sir Thomas Lipton, he was a pioneer of marketing. Is that kind of magic needed by the likes of John Lewis that's just announced closure of eight stores on top of the eight earlier in the year? Yeah, I think we've um, talked about it in the show in the past, Donald, that um, COVID has turbocharged changes that were happening in retail. It's pulled forward five years of change into one year. John Lewis is just a symbol of what's happening. Before the pandemic, e-commerce sales were sitting about 20% of the total. We reckon now by 2025, 50% of all retail sales are going to be done through e-commerce. Um, even back at home, Marion would, would never have shopped online for her groceries. She, she liked going to the shops, etc. But but through COVID, she's on this click and collect now and it seems to work, Willie. She doesn't need to get into the shop. She does it and it's a, a responsive thing. It remembers what she ordered and it suggests things. And Tim Steiner, who's a pal of mine, who's the founder of Ocado, says once people try online grocery shopping, they're not going back. So my whole thing is, let's not worry about the past. Let's concentrate on the future because we can do nothing about the past, but we can influence the future. Any lessons that retail could learn from some Thomas Lipton? Willie? Well, certainly they could learn a few marketing ideas and, you know, John Lewis, he, you know, it's, it's a real shame what's happening there. Obviously, see, there's 265 jobs in Scotland alone, which is it was a real shame. But I think that uh, Tom is right that people who have been using online during COVID now will be used to that way of shopping. So Tim is right, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll not be going back to the old way. I think, for me, retailers have to find cleverer. 
you know, they've got to think out the box. And I think, you know, Walmart had a big, big push just about 18 months ago to get right into Click and Collect. I think today, only 18 months later, it's five billion of their turnover. Five billion in such a short period of time. Where people can certainly learn is, is that if you have a big store, 70,000 square foot, and more and more people now are buying, especially clothes online, it's easier to buy clothes because it's easier to send them back if it doesn't work. I think that people now, in a lot of the big boxes, as we call them in, in retail, will have fifteen to 20,000 square foot now, really redundant space in their stores. And I don't understand why they're not converting that to a warehousing space and doing click and collect and maybe doing home deliveries. Yep, good idea, Willie. Coming up next, we'll be chatting to entrepreneur Kyron Keel, co-founder of Roxy Jewelers. Don't forget, you can put your suggestions and questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterInHockey. Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478 883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. Welcome back as we talk to Kyron Keogh, Managing Director of the award-winning British luxury jeweller Rocks, Diamonds and Thrills, to give it its full title. Don't forget, if you want some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag gohunterandhockey. Kyron, welcome to the show. Nice to see you. And have you brought diamonds? Because my wife was particularly asking that since last week we had cakes from Giovanna. And they were yeah. wonderful. And I'm actually picking up my lasagna and my cakes at Eusebi Deli this Saturday. I'm going to go and pick it up. So, Kieran, where's the lovely watches? Well, unfortunately, no diamonds and watches today, guys, because oh. my stores are closed. Oh. So I couldn't get the safes open to bring anything along with you. I'm sure the warehouse is open. <laughs> <laughs> You've got an interesting backstory because you started out as a chartered surveyor, then spent two years in Hong Kong as a management consultant with Hewlett-Packard before co-founding a software company in London in 1997. Talk us through those early days and how you eventually ended up in the diamond business. Probably as a chartered surveyor, he found a, a diamond mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You're right. I, I often get asked, how did I start as a chartered surveyor and end up as, as a, a jeweller? And Interesting question because, yeah, I, I trained as a, a surveyor. I went to Leicester Polytechnic and came out got a job in, in the industry in London. Uh, I, I rose to the ranks quite quickly working for, for a big partnership and was handpicked to go and work in a project um, out in Hong Kong. Uh, came back, got involved with a whole number of sort of different management consultancy type roles, but ended up founding a software business. And uh, that business was, was sold out. My childhood friend, Grant Mitchell, who actually had a, a jewellery store in the Argyle Arcade in Glasgow, the bloke from EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'll, he'll be so thankful Funny for that. He'll job. be so Come thankful. Um, so I've known Grant literally since we were about you know, 13 years old. And Grant said to me, look, we've been long, long friends. How do you fancy coming into business together and doing something a little bit different? And at the time, the jewellery business was pretty old-fashioned. It was very traditional. You'd walk into a jeweller's store and the door would creak open. You'd go in, it'd be shag pile carpets, it'd be somebody looking down at you with their glasses on the end of their nose in a cardigan. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a bit intimidating, actually. And you know, I wasn't a big jewellery buyer in those days, but it was. And and we thought we could do a lot better than that. We could bring a European model with, you know, better fit-outs, more excitement, music playing in the shops, which, you know, sounds now ridiculous. Wow. But, but in those days, it didn't, you know, it didn't. It was, you know, it was, it was something a bit different. And we, we wanted to bring a bit of fun and we came up with this idea for rocks, and that's 
how I got into the jewellery business in the first place. Grant had an established business in the arcade, so I felt safe and secure. The partners that I was working for in London thought I was completely mad and didn't actually believe me that I was going to make this career change. Right. They, they all thought I was going off to work for a competitor because I didn't have a non-compete at the time. They didn't <laughs> believe me. They thought I was, it was completely ridiculous. I was, I was then an associate in the business and I was fast-tracking through. Kieran, you know why they didn't believe you? As a chartered surveyor and then becoming someone who sold diamonds, I don't think they could believe you were going to take the drop in money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were actually a big success. And as you say, your first flagship store opened in Glasgow's iconic Argyle Arcade back in 2002. Talk us through the launch and how you grew the business to, it's now five stores and an annual turnover of around 15 million. We opened in 2002 in the arcade. It's the centre of diamonds and jewellery and watches for Scotland and actually the north. McCann Street's second busiest shopping street in the UK. Yep. Glasgow has got the second biggest um, uh, retail turnover in the UK. Um, a lot of people don't know these statistics, but yep. it's a really important statistic. So Glasgow is a retail centre. When, when the, you know, the international brands come over here, see the Argyle Arcade, they all scratch their head and can't understand how we can all make a living in there. And we, we all do. We, all, all the shops trade well. And you know, as Glasgow being the centre, we opened the store. It was immediately successful. We thought, well, let's get another shop in Glasgow. We opened one in Brayhead. We then said, right, well, let's start trying to bring some of the watch brands on board. And... In the branded watch market right now, the top five brands in the world account for 55% of the total world turnover. So you get the right watch brand in your portfolio, that's you sorted for wherever, if you, do, if you play the game right. So you know, getting the right brand in, in, in your business, just like we did, we had Thomas Arbor and Links of London at the right time, but you know, we knew that wasn't sustainable. So we had this idea of coming up with this superstore in Glasgow, and we thought that would be a testament to the experiential retail model. It has a champagne bar in it. It had it's a 2,000 square foot space on the upper level. And rather filling it with product, we filled it with lounge seating. And everyone said, you guys are mad. What are you doing? I said, well, you know, we want to give our customers an experience. We want them to come up and enjoy themselves, sit down. We bring the product to them. There was no counters in the shop. It was all about making the customer feel comfortable. Let's do something completely different to anyone else in the arcade. So we stood heads and shoulders above everyone else. There was no other shop like it. We then, just after that, had an opportunity to open in Edinburgh, an opportunity with Hublot came on board, and we started a partnership with them, and then all of a sudden, everything else fell into place. All the other luxury brands lined up. So Edinburgh was the turning point. Glasgow, well, Glasgow was the, I guess, the, the match that started us, ignited us. We then Edinburgh reinforced us, we then had the central belt of Scotland. Our average transaction value started going up. Um, we could have sat back and enjoyed it. We didn't. We, we, we reinvested. We looked forward and then opened in Newcastle, then opened in Leeds, and then an opportunity in 2019 came up in Liverpool. So it was, you know, it, it, it was a, been tremendous a journey. Story. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's been a bit scary because this is one year on since the pandemic took hold. So... How would you sum up the impact on your business, which is based on experience? And what's been the greatest challenges you've faced? I've got to say, when lockdown started, it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And I, I, you know, I'd be surprised for any entrepreneur out there to say that they didn't feel the same. In our industry, we were talking to our brands in Switzerland. So Europe was a little bit ahead of us. Mid-February, we started seeing things happening, things, you know, supply issues and I guess we were all in a little bit of denial at that time because we'd never seen anything like this before. We were thinking, oh, it's, it's going to pass. But then, of course, that fateful night, actually it was the week before when we suddenly realised that we had to do something about our costs quickly. That week before was terrifying because we were like, well, what can we do with the staff? You know, we had layoff um, clauses in our contracts, so we knew what we, you know, what we had at our disposal, but... You know, there are people, there are friends, there are family, if you like. You know, what are we going to do? When the government announced the, the, the lockdown and they announced the rates relief for us and the furlough scheme, that was a major relief because we knew our staff were going to be fine. We knew that the rates relief would be a significant benefit to us. But, yeah, so those two major elements are, you know, two of our major costs. Um, then it was just a question of literally going, right, okay, what does this mean? You know, 
let's put some scenarios together of what impact this can have on our business and sat down with our FD and just modeled some scenarios. Came together with a, a pessimistic plan and then so- sorted out our funding. That was the first thing we did, make sure that we're, we're, we're well capitalized um, for you know various scenarios. And actually, we banked with HSBC and they were extremely supportive. And we were really open, actually, about what impact this could have on our business. And uh, we just, you know, literally just worked through it step by step. But it was terrifying and because the demand, actually, in, in April just went off the scale as well. I mean, it literally just stopped. Purchase stopped. I mean, I know everyone's talking about online was growing and everything, but actually, if you look at the economic stats for that first uh, second quarter last year, it literally just GDP just fell off the floor. So we saw that. So we're thinking, God, is this what lockdown means? You know, if, if we're locked down, business is going to stop. But then, of course, as you as I can see, you're smiling there, Donald. It started to recover. People started to get into the rhythm of it. We got into the rhythm of it. We worked out what we needed to do. I mean, can can I ask you did? did um when COVID came along, did that curtail your expansion plans? Of course, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we had a, a clear plan. We just opened in Liverpool in 2019. That shop's actually been closed longer than it's been open. <laughs> it's just shocking. So our plan was to deliver Liverpool, then get to Manchester. That gives us the north, and and, and then we're going to start moving down south. So for sure, you know, and there's all this talk about the digital economy, digital, digital, that, digital, that. Bricks and mortar is key. We need our high streets vibrant. We need people, you know, people are social animals, aren't they? People will come back to the shops, and we've seen that when we reopen. We have seen that pent-up demand. And there is talk of the demise of the high street, but I think it's, you know, I think it's just a demonstration of what's happened over the last 20 years, and there's been an oversupply of retail space. There's, you know, the, what is the department store now? I mean, what is it? What was it? What is it? What is it going to be? Um, you know, I... I must say, Mike Ashley and his team have got an elevation strategy for Fraser's group. Interesting to see how that pans out for the future. You have End Clothing this week. Newcastle, um, yeah. Little known Newcastle brand. It's just sold out for a billion dollars. To Carlisle, private equity yeah. firm. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, you, you mentioned earlier that you're kinda, you'd like to have a wee chat. You'd like to let listeners hear about what you've got to say about rates. Yeah, come on. So give come us on. a solution. Well, I, you know, I sound like a broken record here because I've, okay. I've been getting on about this for, for, for years. And, you know, so, so retail contributes um, $8 billion in business rates annually now, right? Which is a quarter of the total for business rates. For every £1 that a retailer pays in corporation tax, they pay £2.30 in business rates. So the whole system needs reform. You've got Amazon that doesn't really pay anything in business rates. Just their warehouses. On a very, very, very reduced yeah. poundage because of the, the use. Yeah. We pay landlords for footfall. That's, I mean, that's what we're paying landlords for when we have our shops. You know, We, we want footfall to them. There's no footfall at the moment, and footfall is going to be subdued, isn't it, for the rest of the year? We still, you know, we've got rates relief now, which is fantastic, but we're facing a cliff edge in another 12 months. Rates needs reform. It needs to be, you know, so, digital sales tax is so, a great idea. Actually, I think, you know, I think that's that's got think, some merit. I think, Kieran, everybody agrees, but what there isn't is one voice saying, and here's the answer. Yes. Yeah. So, what's your answer? Well, I think the digital sales tax is for sure a sensible way and, and some way of allowing you know businesses that are omni-channel to offset their digital sales tax against their rates or whatever. So, so what you're saying, Karen, is is that that we should look closer rather than being a bricks and mortar tax uh, and the value of the yes, building. Yes. It should be more on your ability to pay and on your sales. Indeed, on for profit. Sure. Absolutely right. for sure. So you think a fairer system would be you were paying £2.50 per square foot in, co- in, co- in corporation tax rather than paying it on, which I think is is, yeah. is, is a good argument and it's simple not yeah. to go from that to that. I mean, the, the, the system was set up in the, uh, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, in yeah. Victorian times. You know, and yeah. that's the only way you could trade is when you had bricks and mortar. Yeah. You've now got the internet, you know, taking over the world or... I mean, I think KPMG predict it will get up to around 50% of sales. 50% by, by 2025. Yeah. yeah, And I think that's a fair share, but it still shows there's still 50% coming from the shops. Yeah. yeah. So we need to redress that balance. I mean, and, it's just, it's, it's the age-old problem of where, where there's change, entrepreneurs will always be ahead of governments in terms of legislation. And the pandemic has absolutely put this in focus. Therefore, the only way to do this is through sales. The only way. 
And who pays for it? The customer. One way or other, the customer's got to pay. But it's got to be fair, and I think sales is the only way to collect this. Yeah, I agree. Can I ask you, Kyron, what key characteristics or traits have made you so successful? I mean, you you asked at the beginning, I've gone from being a chartered surveyor to being a, um, a retailer now and a jeweler. I guess that surveying background now, actually, I still use day-to-day. I still actually pay my subs for my um, for my letters. <laughs> because it's nothing, nothing better than... Still get a tape measure out now and again. It's sometimes great when you're sitting with the contractor or someone on the other side to declare that actually you are, you know. Yeah. They get the, the surprise. But no, yeah, I mean, I'm dealing with property matters all the time. Uh, my IT background has helped me design our software and, and make us a digital business. But my management consultancy gives me that analytical mind. I mean... I guess I have the ability to compartmentalize issues and part them. And I guess as an entrepreneur, you need to because if you allow issues to take you, take you over, you can't you become paralyzed. So I've got this great ability to be able to just literally pop it in a box and deal with it when I need to deal with it. And was um, there anything in, in your early years that, I always ask people this, was there anything in the early years that marked you out in terms of this enterprise within you? Yeah, I mean... It's funny because uh, you know I, I know you, you like to dabble in music. You know, I was I was a, a musician, and the only way we could you know, play the drums and the guitars, guitars and drums. So I started oh, as a guitarist, right. but no, there was too many guitarists. Uh, There's too many drummers here because we're the drummers. drummers well. Right. <laughs> so I ended up um, having to put on gigs to be able to perform. And of course, you know, that was the only way we could do it because there was no there was no really other channel. We were kids at the time and you know we made meagre returns from that, but it taught us about costs. It was great fun, but it also taught us about costs, people ripping us off, other bands ripping us off, not giving you know, remember all, all, all the nonsense that were going on as a as a teenager. But so it was a good grounding. But it was yeah. a good grounding, yeah, yeah, because you became wily, you 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 were aware. And you know, it was funny because we we'd run we do a magazine now. Rocks magazine, and I quite really enjoy. It's very good, actually. I really enjoy, very enjoy the creative good. content and producing. Like when we were kids, we used to do that as well and try and sell it and stuff. So yeah, I guess there was. You know, I've always been a creative person, but I have also been quite analytical and quite disciplined and um, linear thinker in that regards, but also creative. So I guess it's, it's a yin and yang, isn't it? There's, there's two yeah. parts there. You've and, always, actually, you've my always been entrepreneurial. Well, I guess yeah. my, I was at Grant, my business partner, is the real classic entrepreneur in our partnership. I mean, we've got just an amazing partner, but childhood friends, known him for over 35 years. We had this great friendship that lasted and, of course, sealed the deal by introducing me to my lovely wife, Tracy, <laughs> and, and that was me. I was here, and I, and I love Scotland. I'd always enjoyed coming to Scotland when I was younger because I was brought up down south, as you can probably recognise from my particular accent. Your Glasgow accent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so he, he's, he's the classic entrepreneur, and our partnership is what's been the success of this business. Having that friendship, having each other's back. I mean, see, during the pandemic, if you're on your own as an entrepreneur, I imagine it would have been a pretty yeah. lonely place. Yeah. But yeah. having it's your friend, your best mate you can ring up, have a blether, you know, he pushes me, I push him, we challenge each other, and, you know, if he challenges me something, I'll listen, you know. Of course, he's my, he's my best friend, so I'm going to listen to him. We never actually, to be fair, we never really had a fallout about anything, you know, it's been absolutely amazing, so I think that's been the success to our partnership. And uh, It's a great story. Brilliant. Kieran, can, can I ask about getting back open, because everybody's so desperate to get open, and I think something in the news this week, which Donald, I don't think, got a lot of publicity, was that there's this stat, and it sounds very morbid, about normalised deaths, but there is this thing post or pre-COVID. Last week, we had less normalised deaths than we did in 2019. So that's amazing. And then the other stat, which amazed me, was 99% of the deaths come in a certain demographic, and 99% of them have been vaccinated, Willie. So it's kind of, why are we locking everybody else up now? I mean, I, I'm just desperate. I don't want to, you know, do something rash and we're dealing with people's lives, but I'm desperate to get open. What, what's your views? I mentioned there, you know, Liverpool's been closed longer than it's been open for us. We closed down on the 24th of December in our key trading period. We didn't open in Glasgow until the 12th of December. So we only opened for two weeks. We are ready to open. Now, business last year has fared much better than we thought a year ago. But the tank's running dry now. You know, the longer it goes on, the more stress it puts on business, the more stress it puts on our people. 
So we're ready to open. We thought we'd be open by now, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, now felt about the right time. Um, it's funny, I was, I was listening to, to the radio yesterday, you, hear, you heard about when Germany and France went into lockdown, but you never heard them about them coming out of lockdown. Mm-hmm. And then you hear them going back into lockdown now. So I was quite surprised that they'd come out of lockdown in the interim period that we've had this continued lockdown. But, you know, it's, it's a public health issue and, you know, we need to be careful. You know, it's difficult because as a retailer, you know, we have to trade safely. But, I mean, we haven't been allowed to do click and collect in Scotland no. for the last three months. We have been Finish. in England and that has been a bit of a lifeline in England, to be honest with you, because, you know, people do want to shop. As I said earlier, there's a bit of revenge spending going on out there. People are still celebrating birthdays. You know, whilst they can't get the champagne diamond thrills experience from us, they still get that beautiful package arrive, previously presented, and cheers up their day. The lots you watch business is, is still actually been quite strong in the last uh, 12 months where demand has been actually outstripping supply. And again, that's probably down to the pe- fact that people are revenge spending, but there are certain models. What is, certain what models. is revenge spending? Well, I guess it's, it's you know, <laughs> wanting to come back out and enjoy themselves. Yeah. It's the one thing I can know. do, I'm doing it. Yeah, you know, it's... it's but I think the message yeah. we're all sending yeah. here, and I think we're sending this for most businesses, is we are all ready to go. We're ready, right? we are we've ready. We've done our bit, we've, you know, we've held back, we've stuck to the rules, right? But we are now chapping at a bit to, to, to unleash this huge retail boom that's coming. But they took about the roaring 20s I mean yeah. dust off your spats yeah. and get, get out there but there's actually a little lull happening now because everyone's waiting to open it's right. a, I've seen I've seen a bit of suppressed demand someone else told me that last week there's this there's right. this funny you're in this you know we've done we've only done so much with our staff now there's only so much navel gazing you can do procedures and Training and that was the nasal gazing with the staff. You mean <laughs> you collectively, are you okay? Well, hopefully, when lockdown finally eases, all that pent up demand will uh, come to the fore, and you'll be even more successful than you have been in the past. Thank you, Kyron. Coming up next is the board you can't afford with Hunter in Hockey. If you're looking for some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The board you couldn't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice, insight and inspiration. It's the board you can't afford. Don't forget, if you have questions you want read out on the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag gohunterandhockey. So gentlemen, a great question from a listener to kick us off. Colin says, I'm about to leave my current employer to set up on my own in the building sector. The money to set up the business has been put up by an investor who happens to be a good friend. We want to agree a set of terms at the outset as to what the exit strategy would be for him. We're both unsure what a standard set of terms of agreement would be for an exit strategy like this or where we would go to get some advice on it. Any help would be much appreciated. Tom. Well, the first way to lose a good friend is get into business together. Yes. <laughs> I would say, even though our guest today, Kieran, was saying that Grant's his best friend and business partner, so it sometimes works. But money is a funny thing, Donald, and um, yeah. Um, my advice simply would be find a good lawyer and just get a legal agreement, understand exactly what it is you're doing, what each party needs to do and if you still want to do it just get this good lawyer what about you well, Willie? Uh, same theme you know you there can be no ambiguity about what the deal is right you have to have it in blood that what's <laughs> in it for both parties what the exit's all about because this is what people say oh I didn't think that and I didn't think this and now we're making so much I was supposed to get this you have to keep reminding yourself along the way what the deal is Right, because if you wait to become really successful, <laughs> I, I had an experience of this a long, long time ago when I was 50-50 with, um, with a partner through in, in Edinburgh 
and when the the Glasgow business became so successful, he tried to claim that he should have part of the Glasgow business because the success of, of Edinburgh um, was contributed to the success of Glasgow, which <laughs> that argument lasted for about two seconds. <laughs> but I would say to anybody that advice is make sure that you both of you have a complete understanding about what's in it for both of you and what the exit looks like. That's pretty clear advice for Colin there. Next, we're going to our phone lines, and first up is Rooksar Ahmed. Welcome to the show, Rooksar. What's your question for Tom and Willie? Thanks for having me on the show, Donald. Uh, good morning, Lord Hockey, Sir Tom. Morning. Uh, good morning, Rooksar. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, a background because otherwise the question will sound very open-ended and generic. Um, we, we are an order fulfillment company based in south side of Glasgow. Uh, we store goods for e-commerce businesses, pick, pack, and ship their orders uh, on their behalf to their end consumers, which are all over the world. Um, last two years, we have grown tremendously from being a single-site operation um, to three warehouses now with about 100,000 square foot, um, moving from 15 employees to over 50 employees now within the last two years. The, the question is, as we now look to expand um, to, to England and then hopefully Europe and, and further afield, what are the do's and don'ts that we need to watch out for? Great question, Willie. Morning. Morning. I can certainly give you talk from experience here and give you good advice on this. The first thing looks at is to find out obviously local authority rules which will be different from where they are in Glasgow and in Scotland maybe if you're in England but where I really got my eyes opened up was in Europe uh, the, the difference in, in employment rules in France really took me aback it was unbelievable uh, and I think that whatever territory you go into now so we're operating across the globe in Australia uh, in Australia and in America the rules are different from state to state so I think the one bit of advice I would give you is to make sure that you completely understand what the local regulations are in both as an operator and as an employer. Tom, anything to add? That's great advice. Morning, um, Rooksar. First of all, congratulations on your business. Um, now, what's the name of your business? Give it, give it a plug. It's, it's, it's called Green Fulfillment. Green Fulfillment. There you go. You've got two plugs yeah. in a, on a Sunday morning for your business. Things are obviously going well. So as businesses look to expand, there's the age-old thing of saying, right, can I do more of this and can I do it in different geographies? Willie's advice there is invaluable. What I would talk about is the people. As you grow and grow a bigger business, it's all about the people you employ and you need to instill in them the entrepreneurial behaviour that you are showing and then there are certain things you need to measure in your business, the key performance indicators. You know what they are for your business. For some reason, I seem to work in threes. So what are the three key performance indicators you need for your business? And make sure when you're not on site, these things are happening. It's not a fail-safe way, but that's kind of how I did it, as it were. Roxar, can I just add, and just to add to Tom's, it's also very important if you want to build up a substantial business in another territory, it's, it's really important that the culture of your business prevails within that office. It's vital. And what I've done throughout the world, Australia, Kuala Lumpur, Hong Kong, Singapore, all across America, whenever I opened up a new business, I made sure that some of my key people from Glasgow who understood my business were there to lay down the foundation for that business. That's brilliant advice. Was that helpful for you, Roxa? Yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. Great advice, uh, and, and thank you very much for taking my call. And, and listen, keep in touch with the show and let us know how you're going because it sounds like a great um, success story. Good luck. Thank you, and we are actually neighbours of uh, Lord uh, Lord Hockey. We are just down the road from Caledonia House. I might even pop in and, and say, say hello to you at some point. You're welcome for a cup of tea. Green fulfilment's been a bit disappointing for me this year, but I'm not, it's nothing to do with the name of your company. <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome to come and have a cup of tea. Our next caller is Adele Prendergrast, who's the founder of Your Pay, Your Way, which is a financial literacy course. Adele, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Would you like to explain a wee bit about your courses that you offer and 
give your question to Tom and Willie. Yep. So what we offer is courses on financial literacy and managing your money to young people. Um, it's not something that they're, they're taught in school and it's something that's so important. Everybody's going to have to, to manage their money, understand what debt is, possibly take out a mortgage, buy a car in finance. But these young people that we meet don't really know how, to, how any of these things work or understand that debt is debt, even if you can afford to pay it back. Um, so our courses really go back to basics in terms of this is what a bank account is, this is how you open a bank account, this is what your credit history is, and this is how things that you do affect that. It's really really quite back to basics what we do. Um, now, my background is in accounting. So we've recently just started offering these courses to sort of youth groups, youth clubs, are thinking about offering them to maybe employers that have large apprentice intakes as well. So my question is that given my background is in accounting and not sales or marketing, could you guys give me any advice on how to either approach and sell that as an offering to employers with apprentice intakes or how to maybe approach investors to see if they would back the free offering that we have for schools? How would we get people interested in that? Sounds great, the work you're doing, and Willie's desperate to come in. <laughs> Adele, I am so glad that you have called. I have got a great bit of marketing advice for you. Mm-hmm. Write to every football club in Britain that has a, an academy, right? Uh-huh. I believe that one of the things that lets all of these young players that get too much money too quick is that they have no one like you explaining to them about how they should run their finances. Jim McLean got a lot of stick many years ago, don't you remember, for tying kids up in long contract but getting them financial advice. He was trying to encourage kids to put more money into pensions a way back, try to tell them uh, their career was short and should put money by. I believe that this would be invaluable for every club, large and small. Mm-hmm. Right, throughout the UK and maybe further afield. Uh-huh. And I definitely think your idea about maybe getting into businesses and telling young people or getting, I think schools is a better idea. Uh-huh. I definitely think that financial management should definitely be a big, big part of the curriculum, especially in secondary schools. So, Tom, how would Adele sell her offering? Morning, Adele. Morning. Um, I think your idea is right on the money. Um, I would go to schools if. If, if you knew a head teacher, just start by doing it in that one school and then if it's if it's something that really catches on, the word will get out and you will be able to expand. I think it is 100% needed. I think it should be part of the curriculum, but I don't think it ever will be. So we've got to just understand that and do it a different way. Mm-hmm. So find a head teacher that you know, Get in, do it, and the word will spread. Thank you. And I'd like to add as well, on a, on a serious note, I think a lot of the health issues in young people is because they don't understand how to manage their finances. I agree. And I think I think it would help greatly if they had a better understanding. So I think what you're trying to do here and what you're trying to offer, Adele, trust me, there is a market for this. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Should it not be part of the curriculum? I think you've got to pick your fights. It's not going to go on the curriculum. Just do it. Proceed until apprehended. Yeah, drop algebra any time. <laughs> right. I've been waiting all my life. I've been waiting all my life, Adele, to use an isosceles triangle. Right. <laughs> Pythagoras theorem, really. Was that helpful for that's, you, Adele? That's absolutely brilliant. It's actually dead interesting what you've said there about the football thing because not that long ago, I recall reading a blog from an ex-footballer and he went into detail about how he'd get into so much um, debt and money issues and because he wanted a big Range Rover because everybody else had it and he couldn't afford it and it's sort of detailed it was quite personal it was quite touching reading it so that's really really interesting um, but that's great advice thanks very much and I'm so glad that you think it is something that is really worthwhile great and, and thanks for listening Adele and, and keep us up to date yeah. on how you're getting on if you get any success drop us a wee line yep. come back on and tell us how you're going this is really important so do. good luck Adele 
Thanks thank very you. much, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Gentlemen, in previous shows, you've mentioned some fantastic business books that people should read. Any other recommendations? Well, as you know, Donald, I love to read. And my business hero is Bill Gates, and he takes himself off to a log cabin somewhere and locks himself up and reads his books. Well, we've all been locked up this year in our own log cabins. and um, But one of the things we want to do on the show, we're really keen to get the feedback from the listeners. How could the show be improved? What's the ideas? And the 12 best ideas for improving the show, they're going to get a book and it's going to be signed by Willie and even myself. <laughs> and the book that I love is called The Scottish Enlightenment. I love The Scottish Enlightenment. This is written by Professor Arthur Herman of Georgetown University, who's not a Scot, but he says the Scots invented the modern world. And if I can just read a wee bit, just a wee bit from this. The Scottish Enlightenment is inseparable from its legacy. The age of Adam Smith, David Hume, James Watt, Robert Adam, Robert Burns, when Glasgow, Aberdeen, Edinburgh were the triple wellsprings of the modern mind. It's not just an episode in Scottish history, it marks a crucial turning point in America. Does that not just stimulate you, Willie? I think the the intro from Everyone Welsh from the Guardian sums it up perfectly. Every Scot should read it. Scotland now has a lively, provocative and positive history it deserves. If that's not a good reason for reading a book about Scotland, I don't know what is. Fantastic. And we've got 12 copies, signed copies, Willie's told me to remind you. And so give us your ideas. Do you want to change the presenter? Do you want to change Hunter and Hockey? Is there any other better ideas? 12 copies coming to you and Donald's going to tell us how you can get involved. That's assuming they don't suggest changing the host, <laughs> of course. Uh, all the details are on the website. This is go.co.uk. For all the details you need about today's show and information on how you can get involved and connect, visit thisisgo.co.uk and don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Fed up paying increasingly high gas and electricity bills for your business? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We scour the market to find you the best deals possible. Just send us your latest bills and leave the rest to us. Our customers are hardworking, everyday businesses just like yours. Clark Epos UK Limited. Call today on 01698 478 883 and start saving right now.